Shana Tova, it's Rabbi Jim Edolf, and I just wanted to wish you a happy Jewish New Year. Uh, in this particular podcast, we're going to talk about how we actually uh, learn and do community, and uh, what it means to actually give up oneself to create community, and how we can actually move that idea forward. We're going to take a trip to Chelm, which is uh, known as the Village of Fools in uh, Yiddish literature. And then we're going to try to learn that maybe Helm actually is us all the time. You can email me at rav as in Victor, J-I-M at AOL.com, or you could call me on my Skype line at 610-624-3441. I thank you so much for joining me in this wonderful 5770, this brand new Jewish year. Shalom. a story about the hinges of Chelm. Now, Chelm is one of those places where when little kids try to put each other down, you would say that, you know, when God said brains, you thought God said rain, and you decided to go inside. Anyway, the um, citizens of Chelm once decided to build a new synagogue, and they gathered to install the doors of these great of this great new synagogue. These doors would have to make a statement to the all who entered this synagogue as to the importance of Chelm to, really, the entire world. The doors were intricately detailed with the lines of Judah made out of brass, and these great beasts faced each other. Marble of the finest quality was hewn from both Minsk and Pinsk, and was imported to be able to fashion the Ten Commandments that would rest between these two great bronze images of lions. The cost was enormous. Perhaps the cost was even more than the entire amount spent to the cheder, the religious school. But, you know, you only get one chance to make a first impression. While the community had spent a fortune on the doors and their locks, because, you know, how many people might try to steal the source of Chalm's wisdom, Chalm's Torah, the building committee was not so generous when it came to the money or the craftsmanship of the hinges. Hey, you know, hinges are hinges. No one would notice if they were not the right size or they weren't made well. The hinges no one would ever see would have to do. Besides, they were hinges. What could possibly go wrong? As these doors began their career of guarding and protecting the synagogue of Helm, the hinges began to squeak. At first, when all the people in the synagogue heard a squeak, they could turn their heads to see who was late to shul, who, who was coming and going. But after a while, things changed. The squeaks turned into moans. And then, these hinges that might have been quite adequate for the door of a regular home, but for these thick, heavy doors, these hinges were put to the test. And the hinges were losing. 
It got so bad that when Mr. Dinkle, a wealthy merchant, was late for the chanting of the most sacred of prayers in the evening of Clemidre, he was embarrassed when upon his arrival the hinges let out such a loud sound that you would have thought that the hinges themselves were confessing all the sins of Helm. A meeting was called the next day after breakfast to decide what to do about the squeaky doors of the synagogue. After all, Mr. Dinkle, one of the wealthiest men in Helm, said that he would not set foot back in the synagogue. He would not give another donation until he could be assured that he would never be embarrassed like that again. During the meeting, a brilliant plan was dis- was approved. The committee members decided that they would ask the shamus of the synagogue to oil the hinges once a week. And this would make sure that the doors would be quiet, and, of course, that Mr. Dinkle would return. So week after week, the shamus oiled the hinges, but people began to complain. You see, stains were beginning to appear on the sides of the doors from all the goose fat. At first, it's just a minor discoloration, but then it became black, and the beauty of these beautiful, magnificent doors was greatly diminished. Everyone became angry at the shamus for using too much oil at the rabbi for not caring about the beautiful doors of the synagogue. And, of course, they were mad at the president of the shul for wasting the synagogue's money. Finally, another meeting was held. It was decided that to protect the doors of the great synagogue of Chalm, that the best thing to do would be to leave them closed and locked so they could be properly enjoyed for all of their beauty and splendor. And to this day, the doors of the great synagogue of Chalm remain locked so that the Chalmites might admire and be proud of their beautiful doors. Synagogues are places where four primary things are supposed to happen. We are supposed to be a Beit Midrash, a house of study, a Beit Tefillah for prayer and for our, our deepest aspirations. In the Reform Movement, we have added being a Beit Tikkun Olam, a house for repairing the world. And last but not least, we are to be a Beit Knesset, a place where Jews gather to be with each other and to form community. We laugh at the foolish people of Helm, but we also know that, well, we lock our doors as much to keep the world out as to keep safe that which is inside. The truth is that we all have at least one ancestor from Helm, though we might not want to admit it. The task of building a community has been a charge for the Jewish community from the beginning of our existence. In Exodus, we receive a strange instruction and purpose for the tabernacle. God calls to the Israelites and tells them of the various gifts and materials that will be needed in order to make the tabernacle, yet there is a catch. No amounts or guidelines are set as to what each person should have to give other than that which is determined by the hearts of each individual. In Hebrew, it reads, Asher Yidvenulibo, which really means as much as his heart is moved to give. When we come into a synagogue as rabbis, lay leaders, and congregants often and, and too often, we hear complaints, and sometimes we complain, that there are not as many resources as we would like. 
a characterization of this is found in a cartoon where Moses, sitting with the two tablets, one in each hand, looks to the skies and turns to God and says, yes, great idea, but what about funding? The charge to build the tabernacle, the place where Moses would place the Ten Commandments, ends with a strange decree from God. The verse does not say, Make me a tabernacle that I, the Almighty, may dwell in the tabernacle, in it. Rather, it says, Make me a tabernacle that I may dwell in you. In you. Each of us is where the true tabernacle is built that we might invite God to join and be part of us, and we are part of God's ideal world. Can a community still have too much of a good thing, like in the days of the tabernacle? Can we ask and receive more than we expected? Rarely, if ever, have I seen a moment when a congregation went above and beyond. And yet this year, I saw it happen in a precious response from you, my congregants. You may remember that earlier this year I sent a letter out to the congregation. I called upon you to assist other congregants in need with your professional expertise as we went through this economic storm together. I need to share that sending out this letter was probably one of the scariest moments of my ravenant. When the office sent the letter, I had real anxiety. I what if nobody responded? What if only three people responded, but 30 families needed help? Had I set myself and Beth David up to disappoint those who needed us most? One of the things about the often maligned snail mail is that there is no immediate response. Regardless of the number of times that you hear that patience is a virtue, I can attest this is hollow advice when you are waiting. Then the response came, or should I say the responses came? One, two, three, ten, twenty, thirty. By the end, I had over 50 offers to help those in need. Offers of support came from financial professionals and those with legal expertise, and then came from doctors and mental health professionals and others who felt moved to offer what they could. A share Edveno Libam that which their hearts were moved to offer. I had my own personal reasons for making that request of you. You see, I was the kid who needed financial aid every year to go to Jewish summer camp. And when the time came, the Jewish Children's Regional Service in Louisiana helped me with loans for college. It was the help I needed to achieve my dream one of many resources that has enabled me to stand before you today as your rabbi. Yet now, as we sit hopefully at the end of this financial abyss, have we learned anything other than to thank God that we were not personally affected too badly? Or, if we were affected, wonder, why me? Perhaps we need to return to an older lesson for how we face our future. We need to return to viewing our synagogues as more than just religious school, more than just the name as a program. The sisterhood and the brotherhood, though, mazel tov to the mighty Bruins for winning the seventh Lower Marion 
men's softball league. It is time to ask what this assemblage of brick and mortar can do beyond the visions that first inspired Beth David's founders in the 1940s and led us here to Gladwin 25 years ago. We need to look beyond our current vision toward the future. Recently, I got a phone call from someone who wondered why their offer of help had never been they never served the response. The truth is that we had more than enough offers of help. And the people who were willing are those sitting around you, offering what their hearts told them to do. It is a rare thing to have too much of a good thing in synagogue life. It is you who have shown and demonstrated that against all of the dark and difficult moments in this past year, Rays and flashes of light continued to make the dark appear as day. We are best when we bring hope to each other, and when you bring hope to one another. And it's at that moment that you teach your rabbi about his congregation, and you also instruct your leadership about how much you actually care. This year we needed to remind ourselves of the power of community. It was inspiring to get the generous response from you. But it also reminded me that we have a lot of work to do when a congregant said, I would never have thought to turn to my synagogue if I found myself in financial trouble. This statement shocked me because I grew up knowing a different world. I can't tell you why we did not have more of a need and why I wasn't more why I wasn't able to take more of you up on your offers. Perhaps some don't think of the synagogue as a source of strength when it comes to this issue. Let us count our blessings that we were spared the worst of the impact. I can't point to one thing except that in this instance, you rose and offered more than Beth David could use. For that, I thank you for making my concern your concern and offering the gifts of your heart. This is unusual because often we see and hear that congregational members don't rank their synagogues as a vital priority. We seem not to be first place when people make their decisions. We really need to look at ourselves and ask, have we given people a compelling reason to belong to our synagogue? Perhaps we need to think about our relevance in a new way. We need to offer more than programs and look where our congregants and our congregation can make a difference, and not let ourselves be satisfied until our mission and our values weave the world as it should be, and not as it is. Have you ever heard of Landsmannschaften? These were also called Hebrew Benevolent Societies. Our grandparents and great-grandparents created these groups in the last century when they emigrated to America and found that Jews could not get funding to start businesses and create a livelihood for themselves. If the family didn't have the money needed to purchase a peddler's cart, chances are it was one of these organizations that gave your Zaidi or Alter Zaidi the gelt to get started. <clears throat> Do we need to revisit the, this idea today in a world where banks won't always lend to those who want to work hard to provide for their families? Perhaps our synagogues 
need to have a deeper impact on the lives of those who we touch. One way to do this would be to rethink why we are here and what it means to be a member of a synagogue. Now, you you could argue, come on, Rabbi, that, that was back then. No one does this today. Well, you know what? I'm here to tell you that it does happen today. In one of my previous synagogues, there was a fund for just such a reason. It did not have endless amounts of money, but it had enough, enough to help two families stay in their homes when they faced eviction. It had enough, enough to help another congregant purchase a home. It had enough to make sure that if a little bit could go a long way, the synagogue was there to provide a little bit. If we declare that our synagogue, our community, is critical and vital to its members, to our Jewish community, and to our society, then we must first find new ways to demonstrate that we are this, a center of the community. And if the Landsmannschaften, as an example of the old ways, speaks to us, then we should consider this a way to make a difference. On Yom Kippur, you know that Sam, our president, will ascend the bima and give the talk, as he referred to it last year. I want to ask that you take time to consider other places where you might give this year and make differences that change the world. I'm asking you to look to where a few extra dollars might make a huge difference both at home and far away. The bottom line is that too often we accept that the best way to make our synagogues relevant and important is to protect them. And when we do this, we run the risk of rendering them irrelevant to the people who they are meant to inspire. We are like the Helmites, who are more ready to lock the doors to protect the beauty than to appropriately make sure that they are open to welcome all who wish to enter. One of our purposes as a synagogue is to generate hope for us and our world. This year, I saw willing spirits in many of you. Now I want to go back to that response that you gave to Beth David and to me, and I want to ask you to take it beyond us. We often hear of people throwing money at a problem to fix it. I want you to throw yourself at problems. I want to make sure that part of what you put into your tzedakah is your hope. When we give, we often do so for reasons beyond dollars or hours. We do so because we believe and we have faith that our actions create a better tomorrow. That tomorrow begins tonight with this new year. This tomorrow begins with you and what your heart is moved to do. Find your passions and bring the actions you would like to see into the world. As Theodore Herzl said, if you will it, it is no dream. Will must lead to action. Action brings us back to will. And both create resolve and the two do the dance that make us act and find belief. And have enough courage to believe ourselves capable to make a difference. Find your ability, open doors, 
and make a difference, for doors are meant to be open and closed for sacred hopes and dreams. As the psalmist wrote, Pitchuli Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I, I will enter them. Find the gates that you need to go through and open them with righteousness and with thoughts of how you will make our world a better place. Shana Tovah.